It's 7.43 Eastern Daylight Time. As we say hello to Norway, I am joined this morning via Zoom by O.J. Sagdahl, who listens in Trondheim, Norway. Well, he listened once anyway, and he's actually farther north than that, where he picked us up, WILI. 1400 on the AM dial. This is not our 95.3 FM translator. Back in February. And he wrote me and he sent me the audio and he wanted to know if that really was us. And I said, yes, it really was us. So I connected with OJ about that. And here he is this morning. OJ, it's a pleasure to talk to you from Norway this morning. Specifically, where are you right now? Good morning, Wayne. I'm currently in Trondheim in Norway. It's in the middle of Norway, almost at the same latitude as Fairbanks, Alaska. And where were you in February when you actually picked up our radio signal? Actually, I was in Trondheim at that time as well, but I'm remote controlling my receiver, which is about a thousand miles further north above the Arctic Circle. And that's where I was able to pick up your signal. The first time actually on this side of the Atlantic, as far as I found out. And I think most of our listeners do not know about Trondheim, Norway. It's a pretty big city. Tell me about Trondheim. It's one of the oldest cities in Norway. We celebrated our 1,000-year anniversary in 1997. So it was founded by the Vikings a long time ago. It's about 200,000 people, big university with about 30,000 students, and a lot of high-tech industry related to that. And, of course, a lot related to fishing and, and salmon farming and stuff like that. All right, let's get to the A material here. You are a radio listener called a DXer. What is a DXer? DXer is a term that we have borrowed from the ham radio operators. So the ham radio operators use DX for long distance contact. Myself, I don't transmit. I only listen to AM stations around the world. And uh, so we ad adopted the name of DXR or a medium wave DXR, trying to listen for far away medium wave radio signals. So tell me about that night back in February and how you were able to pick up this radio station. Well, I have a receiver, actually a software defined receiver, which is a receiver that can record the entire AM band to a hard disk. So this one is running overnight, connected to a 3,300-foot-long antenna, which is pointing to the eastern U.S. And then in the morning, when I get up, I connect to the computer and I, I go through the, receive, uh, the recorded material to see if I can find any new stations. This is uh, quite a lot of work. So I, it took me several weeks before I realized that I had WILI on 1400 AM. Actually, I, I a station I've been chasing for quite some time. And then explain to the listeners how DXers then contact the radio station they think they have found, and you're looking for confirmation of reception of that signal, and then you just add it to your list of stations you've received. Yeah, again, this is kind of borrowed from the ham radio operators. When they have a contact, they confirm each other's uh, uh, reception and transmission, and then they have what they call a QSL, which is a confirmation of that contact. Since I don't transmit, I make a recording of what I've heard, and then I send the recording to the station and ask if they recognize the, uh, the station. And if they confirm that, I can add that to my collection of, uh, of stations. Now, what I'm going to play is what OJ sent me. And this was airing on this radio station around midnight. You're going to very 
faintly hear Keith Rice's voice, you'll hear 14 WILI 95.3 FM, and you'll hear the word Hall Communications, and you'll hear a WILI jingle. And again, it's pretty faint, but it's there. So the key words that I heard in there, Hall Communications Radio Group, I heard WILI 14 and 95.3 FM, and so it goes. So that's what you heard. How much other material had you recorded that night, and did you have to go through the entire night of recording just to find that one 30-second clip? Actually, what I do is that I, I check certain frequencies to see if there are, like, the common stations are there or if there is something new. And typically, the propagation varies over the night. So at this time, which was uh, a bit past, past midnight Eastern Standard Time, I had a pretty good opening with several stations from the Northeast coming in, meaning that I could spend more time at that top of the hour because that's when you typically hear the station identifications as well. So, Jay, so well, I tried to find those sweet spots uh, during the night, and then I spend most time on, on those. So, OJ, what was the reaction when you got confirmation from me that, yes, indeed, it was this radio station 3,511 miles away? I was super happy. It was really, as I said, this is like the Connecticut station. There are not that many of them, and they are hard to get. And it's like 1,400 is a super crowded frequency. So I was really, really happy to, to receive your confirmation. Our engineer, John Ramsey, told me it's my understanding that 1,400 kilocycles has about a 250-mile bounce off the ionosphere at night, which means our little one-kilowatt signal bounced 14 times on its way to Trondheim, Norway. That's pretty cool. What's your version, OJ, of how a weak signal like this can travel 3,511 miles? I think your engineer is pretty much on the track. Maybe the bounce is longer than 250 miles. It, uh, it, because it, this depends on the, the atmosphere, the, the signal is reflected in the atmosphere and then it bounces back on the ground. And since there is seawater mainly between us, we have an advantage. If I had been further inland, it would have been less probable to hear you. So but the number of bounces, I can say for sure, because it really depends on the angle of the signal, where the signal hits the reflective layer in the atmosphere, and then it bounces back into the seawater and up in the atmosphere, and it has again to find a reflective layer there. So uh, the number of bounces, I can say, but uh, it's correct that the, the signal is traveling up and down between the atmosphere and the ground several times before reaching my antenna. And your antenna, located above the Arctic Circle, What's the impact of the northern lights and solar activity? It's terrible. Actually, basically what happens with the northern light is that it eliminates the reflecting layer in the atmosphere. So when there is northern light, there is nothing to hear. So we're currently approaching what's called the solar maximum, meaning that there is a lot of northern lights. And that's make it even more uh, fantastic that I was able to catch your signal in, uh, in, in such a condition. OJ, did you pick up other faraway radio station signals that night? 
actually this was the only really nice one. There were other stations that indicated that the conditions were good, but this was the only new one for, for me. Tell me about the first time you heard a North American AM radio station back in February of 1980. That's right. At, at that time, Norway had one radio station. It was a state broadcaster. It had one program and it was pop music every Monday night at 7.30 for one hour. That's everything that we had. And as a young kid, that was really depressing. So I I used my radio to tune for foreign radio stations. We had Radio Luxembourg, which you may have heard of. And uh, the Holy Grail was the American radio stations, which was probably impossible to hear, but I still tried to see if I can catch them. And then one morning in February 1980, I had KOA from Denver in Colorado coming in on my radio. And I was supposed to go to school, but I just couldn't because there were radio stations everywhere. They're at 850 so, uh, on the dial, and I think they're a clear channel station, But so it's not as surprising. That would be kind of similar to what would happen if you picked up WTIC. They're 50,000 watts. We're 1,000 watts, but you got us. What, on your list of stations you've received, is the one you are the most excited or the most proud about receiving? Oh, that's really hard to say because there are so many different uh, situations uh, some are super difficult to sort of decode. You hear something, but you're not able to find out what it is. And then I spend a lot of time in trying to investigate it. So it, it's really hard to say, but I, I really like it when I can have what we call the graveyard channel stations, like 1230, 1240, 1340, 1400, 1450, and 1490. Those stations are typically very hard to find or places are hard to find new stations. So in that sense, WILI is really one of the top ones because it's a very rare station to have never heard before in the Europe uh, in Europe as far as I know. That's a great answer. Now, you use two long antennas. These are not the kind of antennas that we have on most of our radios around here, but 3,300 feet long. OJ, do you ever have conflicts with reindeer or moose? Unfortunately, yes. We have even killed the reindeer once. <laughs> But most, actually for the moose, the moose, the antenna is about uh, three feet above the ground. So the moose usually go, walks over it, but the reindeer with the antlers can get stuck there. Fortunately, the reindeer typically uh, go inland during winter, and then we take the antennas down during summer. But we have had a few cases, uh, actually once where a reindeer got killed in the antenna because it got tangled into it and, and strangled so you're in Trondheim, Norway, but your radio tower is on a small little island in Arctic, Norway. Uh, tell me about that little island up there and why you picked that location and Doya in the northwest of Arctic, Norway. The, the big, the biggest challenge that we have for this this kind of antennas is space. To have enough space for three thousand three hundred feet is quite a lot of space, and the antenna need to be straight in the in western, northwestern direction. The second problem is RF noise from all sorts of electrical uh, instruments, uh, street lightnings, all sorts of uh, man-made noise. So we're looking for a place that we're outside of the like the, the general public and still accessible. So it was a, a couple of friends of mine who found this place like, uh, I think it's almost 15 years ago. And then they went up there for trips for a week at a time, listening. And a few years ago, I, I got involved and I thought it could be fun to have uh, 
a more permanent uh, installation there. So I bought a container and equipped it with batteries and placed it. I, you got a photo from me. It's placed really on the on the, on the marsh land where there is nothing uh, around. And uh, then we stretched antennas from there. And it turned out to work uh, super because we're able to catch stations there that have never been heard anywhere else. Yeah, it's in the middle of nowhere, but that's what you want because then you don't get other types of interference from buildings and so forth, right? Exactly. And also there is an advantage of being far north since uh, during winter we have no sunlight. And the same way as the northern lights uh, deteriorates the reflecting layer that reflects the signal, the sunlight does the same. So typically during summer, we hardly hear any overseas signals. It's really under winter that we can hear that because we don't have so much sunlight. Yeah, we can hear that around here too. In fact, that's one thing I learned when I first came to Connecticut, that at night, the radio signals on the AM band travel much further. And I was listening not just to Buffalo and Albany, but Louisville and Charlotte and places like that. You can't pick them up during the day. That's just the nature of the AM band. So OJ is what we call a DXer, and our engineer, John Ramsey, says DXing is a huge hobby up there. It's known as radio sport, collecting stations the way people in the U.S. collect coins or stamps. Many of these hobbyists spend their holidays camped out north of the Arctic Circle just to DX U.S. stations. This is the other unique radio holiday, which is big in Russia, is fox hunting. They hide a small radio transmitter, usually transmitting in the ham bands, and a group of people try to find it using homemade radio direction finding equipment. With more advanced hobbyists, instead of the station transmitting continuously, they have it on a timer so it just comes on for 30 seconds out of every five minutes. The people who place the, quote, foxes, unquote, often put the transmitter in locations like valleys next to metal buildings where the signal bounces around, which makes it much harder to locate. OJ, did you ever do any fox hunting? No, I haven't had time for that. I have a busy work day as well, so I had to prioritize on something. And for me, the USAM station is, is really the most interesting and most challenging thing. But I've heard about the fox hunting. and Maybe I should do that if I retire. Ham radio operators in the USA do something similar to that thing called fox hunting in Russia. OJ, just talking in general, what do you see as the future of AM radio worldwide, but especially in Norway? Actually, in, in Norway, there is no AM radio stations left. The, the government decided to cease operating AM stations on the mainland seven year, several years ago. So there is only one station left in the Spitsbergen Ireland, Islands, almost at the uh, at North Pole. Uh, and they even closed down the FM uh, stations uh, a few years ago. So now it's all digital broadcasting which is not necessarily the, the most robust and uh, the highest quality signals that you can get. So I'm a bit uh, depressed on, on that side. The good thing for us is that the more AM signals are closing in Europe, the more signals we can catch from abroad because the interference is uh, disappearing. Well, let me follow up on what we've done here in the last three years. The FCC has allowed AM stations, usually smaller ones like ours, to simulcast their programming, what's called an FM translator. So we are also right now being heard on 95.3 FM. Do they do anything like that in Norway? Or I guess what you just said, there are very few or no AM stations in Norway to do that kind of simulcasting on the FM bandwidth. That's true. They've closed all the AM stations and the, like the big networks closed all the FM stations. So everything that's left is only digital. And this is gives like a lower sound quality because they're squeezing in more channels on the same bandwidth. And also, as I mentioned, it's really a, a vulnerable system because all these DAB uh, 
uh, stations are coordinated with GPS signals. And we had a fallout of a satellite uh, about a year ago, which basically silent, uh, silent, silenced a lot of the, the DAB stations. So, so you've, it's, uh, you've got the two long antennas, 3,300 feet long, focused toward the northeast of the USA. Do those high-tech systems also pick up signals that you've DXed from, say, Europe or other parts of the world? They could uh, do that, but then they have to put them in another direction. Uh, the, the length makes that make it fits for the AM band, but I also have another antenna of the same length that goes towards the Pacific, making it possible to pick up AM signals from the Pacific as well. OJ, so it's really the direction that uh, decides what you pick up. Inquiring minds want to know, OJ, when you're not DXing, when you're not picking up radio stations in Connecticut while you're in Norway, what do you do in your real life? Well, I'm uh, trying to spend as much time with radio as I can. But I do have a family. I have a wife and two kids or even grandkids. And I also work for a Montreal company in uh, uh, that deals with the software for public transit. OJ, this was great. This was special. Something I've never done before. A, talk to a guy in Norway live on the radio. And B, do it by way of Zoom. Thank you very much for joining me this morning. Thanks a lot, Wayne. And thank you for confirming my reception of WILI. Yep, that was definitely us. O.J. Sagdal, our guest this morning from Trondheim, Norway, on 14 WILI Willimantic and 95.3 FM.